and welcome to Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Matthias. And I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I are creatures from the deep, crawling out onto your beaches to uh, summon our great lord from the other realm. However, uh, we our our handwriting for like the sigils for like the cyclopean sigils that would summon our lord and master are it's really bad and we keep getting the wrong guy every time mm. and it's kind of getting really embarrassing at this point and uh we're just trying to figure out some some way around that and we find that mm-hmm. stories can almost do the sort of same thing summoning these sort of uh, these, these elder rich beings we're just trying to find the right combination to uh to get our our, our actual lord and master which i would pronounce here it would burst your your headphones so mm. i will be holding back for now Exactly. So to practice that craft, we are issuing a challenge. Each week you sit down. Your goal is to write a complete short story using three of four randomly generated words. Then we come on the podcast, we read a story, we talk about what we learned in reading it, and then then we talk about stories sent in by you, wonderful uh, Cyclopean Eldritch listeners. Mm -hmm. We're simply here to help you do the right thing. A Doof Media production. A uh, Doof Media is actually one of the many names of our mm-hmm. of our Cyclopean god. Doof Media. You just you just said it. That was not like different. Oh, what? Well, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to. <laughs> because I know if we spake their their name too often, spake. I could. It's, it I feel like you're stuck on that word. You, earlier, I said spooky, and then you added spackle, and now you're saying a, a different thing. Also, spooky spackle spake. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> so, so, so uh, <laughs> last week we talked about dramatic irony. So that's the, what the mm-hmm. uh, the stories we'll we'll be reading hopefully are are about y- y'all choosing to do do the challenge. But uh, for today, we're reading a particular story. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, or remember from last week when we announced it, but it will be Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. Because Lovecraft which is, wrote it. Which, which is fantastic. I mean, as we've all probably heard, uh, Love Lovecraft is definitely one of the godfathers of uh, horror, uh, mostly because of his intense description uh, and also just how small uh, his short stories and, and novels make us as humans feel in the vast expanse of existence. Yeah, so um, I forgot to, to prepare the author bio, but uh, for those who don't know, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was a, a particular mm-hmm. writer in the early uh, 20th century who focused a lot on uh, cosmic horror, which is sort of the, the feeling of uh, of being terrified by something that is, is greater and bigger than you are. Um, than mm-hmm. you could ever be. And that's just sort of like the nature of, of the universe is that we are incredibly small, right? The Earth is a, is a tiny speck compared to the sun, and even our sun is tiny compared to many others, and there's so much emptiness, mm-hmm. and who knows what else. Um, he was also incredibly xenophobic and just like agoraphobic and just afraid of the outside, and, and as a consequence, uh, extremely racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had a dog which is just named the N-word. Part of the times. Uh, I, I thought he had a cat. Uh, it might have been. I might have been. You're, like I think that. you're right. Yeah. Um, but you know, apologies he, to the cat. Representative of the times mixed well, with. Well, I think he was even. Was, I think was he was even pretty bad for the times. Tormented. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. And like as you said, he was very xenophobic and agoraphobic. 
I think he. There was something about like by the end, he was like slightly better, but like it kind of doesn't doesn't cancel out. Yeah. Also, he he. I think he died a poor man, right? I Wasn't that a probably thing? almost every writer he did. died poor and sad. Time. Yeah, <laughs> he has a bad relationship with his mother. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so let's let's just gossip about his life for a little bit before we no. Um, Jarvis <laughs> uh, picked out one of the stories that that is uh, slightly less racist, which I I think that's super cool that you could find one. Uh, that's yeah, great. It was actually kind of difficult. I uh, had planned on doing another one. Uh, I I forgot what the title was, but like it was really good. I was like, "Yo, this is solid. This is meeting our like a uh, word count." And then he just he just start writing the uh, n word and like ah, making nice. uh <laughs> like basically likening monsters to the horrible You're right. nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and that's I just, uh, I couldn't flow. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a lot of tropes that comes from Elder Chora and stuff like this. It, it's tied up with a lot of other genres, like the um, sort of like Indiana Jones Explorer sort of sort of genre. Mm-hmm. Also, is like a distant, it's like a cousin of of uh, like uh, of noir, I guess. It, like because Lovecraft stuff often is like somewhat related. There's a lot of detectives and stuff, but Very much they so. they go to these you know uh, the to to these jungles and then these the eldritch rituals being performed by quote quote unquote the savages etc and mm-hmm. witch doctors and whatnot it's just it's and, a then, lot of and then you know good old fear. american indiana jones has to come in kill as many as possible right and then steal their shit which which i mean to to his credit at the very least that does not end well for them yeah for most in lovecraft people, yeah. stories face melty face melty exactly actually i would i would count that scene in um in the first indiana jones as as somewhat cosmic horror-y i mean it's not really because it's it's god but it's yeah it's the you know this thing that you cannot experience it's so horrible yeah i mean what what does happen to those people is beyond understanding and it like definitely hints as to some sort of not even magic, like a curse or something else out there that is causing as soon as you open up this this arc for their faces to melt horribly. Um, so yeah, there are, there are like s- subtle elements of that within that at, at least that movie that isn't really present in any other Indiana Jones movie. I don't think maybe in well Temple the of second. Doom, but I'm well, not sure. I mean, they kind of all touch on that a little bit, don't they? Because there Besides is uh, the last crusade I think. well okay so you so this there's the first one which is the ark of the covenant the ark of the covenant mm-hmm. melts people's faces off and then the second one the temple of doom is is very much related to that too um even more racist so so you get a you get oh, a good callback even to that more one. it's really it's uh, really there bad was, he he has a sidekick named shortstop who his entire character is that, is he's, that a, he's a small he's a Chinese. Asian child. He goes away in the third movie. I thought he was wonderful. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know why like, either. Like, there is some strange reason why there isn't strong continuity between certain things that happens in every Indiana Jones movie. Maybe they're they all different in Indiana Jones. In the fourth one. Uh, by making Shia be in, in there, and also him saying so, like, "Oh yeah, yeah it uh, didn't work out with them." Well, it's so like a really small throwaway with, with, line. With that one, uh, that's a whole. That's another Elder Tor. That one's even more Elder Tor because they actually have the aliens in it. Yes, that um, is true. Which, which I which, can barely like, remember anything. From I them. I just I remember the Russian lady, bad woman lady. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, looking into the eyes of it. She, yeah, she wanted pure knowledge, and then it burned her skull out. And I mean, that's quite 
that's that's somewhat Lovecraftian. A okay, bit. but also, do you know what is crazy? When mm-hmm. I saw that as a kid, I was thinking, okay, she did die, but how awesome would it yeah. have been in those few seconds to know, know everything? everything? I mean, yeah. it's kind of like you don't that's you don't I even want. really need to go on living. You already got it all. Like, what it, yeah. what are you gonna do? Just like find out the thing you already knew about? It's, it's like exactly. You're just rewatching a movie. That's all. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess a strong takeaway is please go and watch all of the Indiana Jones's Jones movies in reverse all... order. It's very Ooh, important. That's, that's reverse... actually pretty good. Actually, I don't. I don't know anything about it. I mean, really, if you go in reverse order, you're going from worst to best movie. Is it? No, yeah, I don't think it's. Four, I don't think it's a linear. Rough. No, for sure. I mean, honestly, I I watched it when I was younger, and I I can't tell the difference. So I couldn't tell the yeah. difference. And However, Temple three... of Doom is as the second one is is a dip down between one and three. So like, no matter what, it's it's not I, I would a feel linear that, growth. Okay, so for either me, way, I feel that three is on a lower standing than two. Wow, because. Only because um, I don't know. I just because racism really doesn't feel- bother you that much. <laughs> You're right. Uh, I am. I am the least racist person in this room right You're, now. You're colorblind, <laughs> Jarvis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything is white and gray. There is no black in in my world. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means, but I don't think it's a good sentiment. <laughs> I don't think so either. But but all I am saying is that for me. I think that the second Indiana Jones movies at least gives you good action, gives you really good scenes, uh, and it is a lot more rememorable than the third movie, which is just him and Sean Connery just talking to each other for the entire film, and then they get one cup and drink from it, and oh, they picked the right one right off the back? And just, I don't know. It wasn't for me. Not for me. You know, so that riddle, that spoilers for for what's the name of that one? It's just just a holy grail. Or the something? Last Crusade. Last Crusader, or Cru- Crusade or Crusader? I think it's I think it's the Last Crusade. Okay. Um. Well, because hey. because it was supposed to be the last Indiana Jones movie for um, a bit of time. Well, so like the thing is, is that like, okay, say you're in the room with all the cups, right? And yeah. so, let's say there's 100 cups. 99 cups are all gold and silver and, like, gloriously decorated, right? Yeah. Like, some are, like, you could probably point out one and be like, that one's the best. But probably someone would disagree with you about that one being the best one, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see the one shit mug. <laughs> and you're like, hmm, this one's out of place. And yeah, you know that you here? can only use one mug right mm-hmm. so all of the other ones are poisoned well but all like but just just the fact that all the other ones are all the same and you know there's only one solution i'm just saying like like look like if if there is if your answer choices are a through z right mm-hmm. and they all are basically the same answer except for c which is totally different it's the yeah. only one that's different from all the rest. You would pick C. I feel like just by a process of elimination, you should know that, yes, it's the shit mug. Even without knowing anything about Jesus, you just be like, there's one answer and there's only one that's different. Yeah. Which, I mean, I feel that I would like I would have hoped that Jesus had made that 
problem a lot more difficult to solve. Like maybe yeah. make them all the exact same cup, except one has like writing on it. That was something that he said. I don't know. I don't know. But either way, if that had had happened, I don't think that Indiana Jones would have been, would have been able to pick the right one. That's yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> um. All right. Let's get into Dagon by H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Also, this is the first time I've re- I'm reading this. I, I hadn't read it beforehand. So uh, if I if I don't uh, read it in the qu- right quite right tone that it's supposed to be read in, um, I apologize. All right. I'm writing this under an appreciable mental strain, since by tonight I shall be no more. Penniless at the end of my supply of the drug, which alone makes life endurable, I can bear the torture no longer, and shall cast myself from this garret window into the squalid street below. Do not think from my slavery to morphine that I am a weakling or degenerate. When you have read these hastily scrawled pages, you may guess, though never fully realize, why it is that I must have forgetfulness or death. It was in one of the most open and least frequented parts of the broad Pacific that the packet of which I was supercargo felt fell a victim to the German sea raider. The Great War was then at its very beginning, and the ocean forces of the Hun had not completely sunk to their later degradation, so that our vessel was made a legitimate prize, whilst we of her crew were treated with all the fairness and consider- consideration due us as naval prisoners. So liberal, indeed, was the discipline of our captors, that five days after we were taken, I managed to escape alone, in a small boat with water and provisions for a good length of time. When I finally found myself adrift and free, I had but little idea of my surroundings. Never a competent navigator, I could only guess vaguely by the sun and stars that I was somewhat south of the equator. Of the longitude I knew nothing, and no island or coastline was in sight. The weather kept fair, and for uncounted days I drifted aimlessly beneath the scorching sun, waiting either for some passing ship or to be cast on the shores of some habitable land. But neither ship nor land appeared, and I began to despair in my solitude upon the heaving, upon the heaving vastness of unbroken blue. The change happened whilst I slept. Its details I shall never know, for my slumber, though troubled and dream-infested, was continuous. When at last I awaked, was to discover myself half-sucked into a slimy expanse of hellish black mire, which extended about me in monotonous undulations as far as I could see, and in which my boat lay grounded some distance away. Though one might well imagine that my first sensation would be of wonder at so prodigious and unexpected a transformation of scenery, I was in reality more horrified than astonished. There were for there was in the air and in the rotting soil a sinister quality which chilled me to the very core. The region was putrid with the carcasses of decaying fish and of other less describable things which I saw protruding from the nasty mud of the unending plain. Perhaps I should not hope to convey in mere words the unutterable hideousness that can dwell in absolute silence and barren immensity. There was nothing within hearing and nothing in sight save a vast reach of black slime. Yet the very completeness of the stillness and the homogeneity of the landscape oppressed me with a nauseating fear. The sun was blazing down from a sky which seemed to me almost black in its cloudless cruelty, as though reflecting the inky marsh beneath my feet. 
As I crawled into the stranded boat, I realized that the only one theory could explain my position. Through some unprecedented volcanic upheaval, a portion of the ocean floor must have been thrown to the surface, exposing regions which for innumerable millions of years had lain hidden under unfathomable watery depths. So great was the extent of the new land which had risen beneath me that I could not detect the faintest noise of the surging ocean, strain my ears as I might. Nor were there any sea fowl to prey upon the dead things. For several hours I sat thinking or brooding in the boat, which lay upon its side and afforded a slight shade as the sun moved across the heavens. As the day progressed, the ground lost some of the stickiness, and seemed likely to dry sufficiently for traveling purposes in a short time. That night I slept but little, and the next day I made for myself a pack containing food and water, preparatory to an overland journey in search of the vanished sea and possible rescue. On the third morning I found the soil dry enough for walk upon with ease. The odor of the fish was maddening, but I was too much concerned with graver things to mind so slight an evil, and set out boldly for an unknown goal. All day I forged steadily westward, guided by a faraway hummock which rose higher than any other elevation on the rolling desert. That night I encamped, and on the following day still traveled toward the hummock, though that object seemed scarcely nearer than when I had first spied it. By the fourth evening I had attained the base of the mound, which turned out to be much higher than it had appeared from a distance, an intervening valley setting it out in sharper relief from the general surface. Too wary to ascend, I slept in the shadow of the hill. I know not why my dreams were so wild that night, but ere the waning and but ere the but ere the waning and fantastically gibbous moon that had risen far above the eastern plain, I was awake in a cold perspiration, determined to sleep no more. Such visions as I had experienced were too much for me to endure again, and in the glow of the moon I saw how unwise I had been to travel by day. Without the glare of the parching sun, my journey would have cost me much less energy. Indeed, I now felt quite able to perform the ascent which had deterred me at sunset. Picking up my pack, I started for the crest of the eminence. I have said that the unbroken monotony of the rolling plain was a source of vague horror to me, but I think my horror was greater when I gained the summit of the mound and looked down the other side into an immeasurable pit, or canyon, whose black recesses the moon had not yet soared high enough to illuminate. I felt myself on the edge of the world, peering over the rim into a fathomable chaos of eternal night. Through my terror ran curious reminiscences of Paradise Lost and of Satan's hideous climb through the unfashioned realms of darkness. As the moon climbed higher in the sky, I began to see that the slopes of the valley were not quite so perpendicular as I had imagined. Ledges and outcroppings of rock afforded fairly easy footholds for the descent, whilst after a drop of a few hundred feet, the declivity became very gradual. Urged on by an impulse which I cannot definitely, which I cannot definitely analyze, I scrambled with difficulty down the rocks and stood on the gentler slope beneath, gazing into the Stygian depths where no light had yet penetrated. All at once my attention was captured by a vast and singular object on the opposite slope, which rose so steeply which rose steeply about a hundred yards in front of me, an object that gleamed whitely in the newly bestowed rays of the ascending moon. 
that it was merely a gigantic piece of stone, I soon assured myself, but I was conscious of a distinct impression that its contour and position were not altogether the work of nature. A closer scrutiny filled me with sensations I cannot express, for despite its enormous magnitude, and its position, and an abyss which had yawned at the bottom of the sea since the world was young, I perceived beyond a doubt that the strange object was a well-shaped monolith, whose massive bulk had known the workmanship and perhaps the worship of living and thinking creatures. Dazed and frightened, not yet without a certain thrill of the scientist's or archaeologist's archaeologist's delight, I examined my surroundings more closely. The moon, now near the zenith, shone weirdly and vividly above the towering steps that hemmed in the chasm, and revealed the fact that a far-flung body of water flowed at the bottom, winding out of sight in both directions, and in almost lapping my feet, and almost lapping my feet as I stood on the slope. Across the chasm, the wavelets crashed the base of the cyclopean monolith, on whose surface I could now trace both inscriptions and crude sculptures. The writing was in a system of hieroglyphs unknown to me, and unlike anything I had ever seen in books, consisting for the most part of conventional aquatic symbols, such as fish, eels, octopi, crustaceans, mollusks, whales, and the like. Several characters obviously represented marine things which are, are, which are unknown to the modern world, and whose decomposing forms I had observed on the ocean-risen plain. It was the pictorial carving, however, that did the most to hold me spellbound. Plainly visible across the intervening water, on account of their enormous size, were an array of bas-reliefs whose subjects would have excited the envy of a dore. I think that these things were supposed to depict men at least a certain sort of men, though the creatures were shown distorting like fish in the waters of some marine grotto, or paying homage at some monolithic shrine which appeared to be under the waves as well. Of their faces and forms I dare not speak in detail, for the mere remembrance makes me grow faint. Grotesque beyond the imagination of a Poe or Bulwer, they were damnably human in general outline, despite webbed hands and feet, shockingly wide and flabby lips, glassy, bulging eyes, and other features less pleasant to recall. Curiously enough, they seem to have seen they seem to have been chiseled badly out of proportion with their scenic background, for one of the creatures was shown in the act of killing a whale, or was represented as just a bit larger than himself. I remarked, as I say, their grotesqueness and strange size, but in a moment decided that they were merely the imaginary gods of some primitive fishing or seafaring tribe, some tribe whose last descendant had perished before the first ancestor of the Pitdown or Neanderthal man was born. Awestruck at this unexpected, unexpected glimpse into a past beyond the conception of the most daring anthropologist, I stood musing whilst the moon cast queer reflections on the silent channel before me. Then I saw it. With a slight churning to mark its rise to the waters, the thing slid into view above the dark waters. With only a slight churning to mark its rise to the surface, the thing slid into view above the dark waters. Vast, polyphemous-like, and loathsome, it darted like a stupendous monster of nightmares to the monolith, about which it flung its gigantic scaly arms, 
the while it bowed its hideous head and gave vent to certain measured sounds. I think I'm out. I think I went mad with them. Of my frantic ascent of the slope and cliff, and of my delirious journey back to the stranded boat, I remember little. I believe I sang a great deal, and laughed, oddly, while I was unable to sing. I have the indistinct recollections of a great storm some time after I reached the boat. At any rate, I know that I heard peals of thunder, and other tones which nature utters only in her wildest moods. When I came out of the shadows, I was in a San Francisco hospital, brought hither brought thither by the captain of the American ship which had picked up my boat in mid-ocean. In my delirium I had said much, but found that my words had been given scant attention. Of any land of people in the Pacific, my rescuers knew nothing, nor did I deem it necessary to insist upon a thing which I knew they could not believe. Once I sought out a celebrated ethnologist, and amused him with peculiar questions regarding the ancient Philistine legend of Dagon, the fish god. But soon perceiving that he was hopelessly conventional, I did not press my inquiries. It is at night, especially when the moon is gibbous and waning, that I see the thing. I tried morphine, but the drug has only given transient surcease, and has drawn me into its clutches as a hopeless slave. So now, I am to end it all, having written a full account for the information or the contemptuous amusement of my fellow men. Often I ask myself if it could not have all been a pure phantasm, a mere freak of fever as I lay sun-stricken and raving in the open boat after my escape from the German man-of-war. This I ask myself, but ever does there come before me a hideously vivid vision and reply, I cannot think of the deep sea without shuddering at the nameless things that may at this very moment be crawling and floundering on its slimy bed, worshipping their ancient stone idols, and carving their own detestable likeness on submarine obelisks of water-soaked granite. I dream of a day when they may rise above the billows to drag down in their reeking talons the remnants of puny, war-exhausted mankind, of a day when the lands shall sink and the dark ocean shall ascend amidst universal pandemonium. The end is near. I hear a noise at the door, as of some immense slippery body lumbering against it. It shall not find me. God, that hand! The window! The window! Well, that was a fantastic story. I I don't know. I just really love this one. Uh, mostly because we are getting a peek behind the curtain of this horror. But we're not able to fully delve in deep because it does seem that what is actually happening is beyond uh, human comprehension to where at the end he just delves into speculation. So I just really loved it. Sec. Um, yeah, so uh, Lovecraft has this definitely a certain kind of horror kind of style, but um, mm-hmm. I think its emphasis is definitely upon uh, a horror of the unknown and of the the massive uh and of the unresistible mm-hmm. um like this guy just just glimpsed it but it's enough to to drive him utterly mad with visions of of apocalyptic scenes um mm-hmm. i don't know if he actually like sees something at the end like for real or if it's just the, his insanity tr- truly driving him in the last moments to to dive out um yeah and i mean i think 
is everything okay over there? Yep, they're just obnoxious. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think whatever he might have seen, because it is very ambiguous as to if he actually did see something or if it was just the start of his song and uh, laughed when he did go mad. Uh, brought on probably by the sounds that that he did hear but i think the strongest thing within this is that throughout the whole thing there's this heavy sense of hopelessness that no matter what does end up happening within the story itself we all get a clear we all get a clear picture that this character can't do anything does not have the tools to do anything and even if he did nothing will really come of it that whatever he is seeing this uh vast land landscape of of black water and then this deep chasm that all of these things are so much larger than himself that he can do nothing but view it and go mad yeah um for me the the thing that actually um maybe that does um influence my my actual fear is like that idea of um like all of the ocean floor that we we cannot experience in the deepest recesses this is what is there it it is there everywhere and it seemed like at the bottom of the canyon there was even more ocean there was more Mm -hmm. water which is where it came out of so an even deeper place deeper and blacker and that one day like they could just come out and and everything would would end everything would sink and they would rise and it would just switch back over and it, that also that like endless landscape of of just an awful uh just an awful like putrid landscape that never ends i think is another kind of horror just that mm-hmm. you can't truly escape it and just how like uh, utterly depressing it is yeah um it, it reminds me push. of us of that one section in mad max fury road where they they pass through um the those lands that are all terrible it's the same kind of imagery to me Mm -hmm, yeah uh what i was thinking of uh when i was reading that portion uh which i know that bloodborne did definitely borrow so much from love lovecraft i mean most of the lore from it is directly eldritch uh is directly eldritch in nature but uh when Lovecraft was describing this vast land, land, uh, this vast landscape with a crescent moon, uh, I could only think of the battle between you and uh, Yorm, the vacuous spider. Have you gotten to that point? I've never played Bloodborne. Oh, well then, uh, <laughs> it is a fantastic boss. So for y'all that have actually played it, uh, that was definitely what came to mind as I was reading this. Um, but honestly, I think one of the biggest things that Lovecraft does in this and all of his other writings uh, that definitely uh, accomplishes this horror that he is going after is his thick description. I mean, he really sits in this place to where he is very willing to describe everything that you can see without describing the reason for it, For it, you know? Uh, how he describes it, this vast landscape, how he describes how everything that is happening within this one moment is maddening to a main character without giving us any solid backstory to the character along with where they actually are. It uh, truly feels like this that this character is stuck out of time, stuck mm. out of space to where they aren't even 
on earth anymore but the but the horror in it is that this is the truest version of earth this is Mm -hmm. uh what lies below everything we as humans have come to think of as earth Uh, yeah it actually i really like that it it did make me I, i had a flicker of of being a little uncomfortable thinking about um of of the humans before humans basically of like the the mm-hmm. earliest earliest like 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 before homo sapiens before uh homo neanderthal the, yeah before those well, well not well that that there were some human beings worshiping those those terrifying beings is something that's mm-hmm. lost like even before the concept of of a human human yeah uh, came about um it's just something that ancient and like utterly lost is it be, i mean cuz it's at a certain point right uh in in the you know evolutionary time scale like we are more what we would classify as animal than what we would now classify as human i mean humans are animals right but there is like a difference between like the consciousness of a like a modern human right than any other animal around mm-hmm. just because you know we are able to have things like this like a society etc and so it's like that that's that that horrible in between like if if, you know dogs started worshiping at a cyclopean altar right i would be (laughs) terrified to become Uh, human well i would like some grotesque version i would just be disturbed just because it's like what does this dog know that i don't you know Mm -hmm. um exactly yeah (laughs) and it's doing something entirely out of place for it um something that should be beyond it Uh, yeah yeah and i mean that is just the the horror that is really invoked within this story it it makes you not only think about what is possible but also think about you and your own human condition and how uh if these things decided to rise up of course they would win i mean even with within the um story itself it said that uh, the uh, the main character fears the the day that these things will one day decide to rise and uh, wipe out a, a war tired uh, race of people. Um, and, I think I the mean, implication that... too is that it's it's like not even like it wouldn't even be like a big intentional thing. Like they would just yeah. rise and then all of the land would sink and that's it. That's you don't. There's no choice really. Yeah. <laughs> you will become a part of it, and I don't know. That's just a terrifying thought to to really think of and then hey if you want to re- relate it even more uh through global warming one day this might happen uh, <laughs> once <laughs> jesus what once all the polar ice ice caps melt and that and that water level rises i would not be surprised if a fishman walks on the gulf of mexico wow um, this reminds me a little bit of, uh, this one episode of the Magnus Archives that definitely did, um, get to me. It just, just the thalassophobia in general. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that feeling of when you're, uh, of, of, of being in the great deep and just looking and not being able to see the seafloor and not being able to see anything with definition and Oof. almost like knowing that there is something large out there and not being able to, you would not be able to swim away. You are utterly at its at its mercy, and you're just mm-hmm. hoping that it does not spot you. You are utterly like defenseless, and um, yeah. So there's this one basically where they do that. Uh, they 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 basically travel almost to a through a 
a portal in the sea is what it, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get through the other side and I, I'm changing some of the details so that when you read it, when you listen to the episode of the Magnus archives, you can experience it anew. Um, okay. But they look at this big object that's floating there and it's already, it's already like terrifyingly huge and they can't tell what it is. And then they realize that it's a hand and it's oh. already like skyscraper sized and they like follow it with their eyes. Uh, and then they, they need to get out of there because they panic. Um, Yo, I mean, really, that's the number one reason why I will never dive. Like, I will never be <laughs> a scuba diver. I don't even think I will set foot in any sort of water that I can't stand in because I don't know. Like, I, I almost so died in a riptide. I, I was what? my brother and I were were ripped out to to sea um, one time. Oh, so you so you got caught by the undertow? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we we were on the beach, and uh, he kept wanting to go a little deeper. And I was like, okay, well, we gotta, we gotta go back now. And he's like, no, I want to go a little deeper. He told me yesterday, actually, that he just wanted to get to where he couldn't touch the the bottom. Yeah, it's like that's the whole point. <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> that's when you're in deep. Water, yeah, no, shark territory. Be, but basically, as soon as he, as soon as we couldn't touch the bottom, we were swept out like immediately. Basically, oh, uh, we didn't God. even notice. We just turned around and we're like, wow, we can barely <laughs> see the beach. Far- How'd you get back? Did you just end up we, swimming? Or? No, no. We, we we tried swimming back and we did that for like a good five minutes and we're like, okay, we can't do it. And it, it was really surreal because we were just like talking to each other. We're like, wow, we're really um, in danger, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is an issue. <laughs> we, we can't swim back, can we? And we shouldn't tire ourselves out trying, right? Yeah, because then yeah. that's when you start drowning. Yeah. And so we just, we, we were like, we should probably call for help, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we, we just yelled for help. And eventually a swarm of surfer dudes helped us back. The, the way back was way harder than the way out. Let me tell you. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot more tiring. Anyway, oh, um, but we survived. So yeah um, I'm, I'm very glad i was worried that you would so still be for, stuck out there for, to this day for everyone else uh basically riptides are uh the, the the water that sweeps you out undercurrents and the way to do that is not to, to just fight it although that is one way if you are a very strong person you you actually can but i would not try to if you're not a very strong person or have a surfboard or both hmm. um instead you want to swing parallel to the shore and just to like try every now and then because the the riptide's usually not actually very like wide basically mm. so if you sh- swim parallel uh to the shore you can actually go back and also it's not going to keep pulling you out it usually only pulls you out to like a certain point and then it stops so hmm. um i honestly so now you know yeah i, I honestly wonder how those things well no i guess i can figure out how they start um because you know the the ebb and flow of of the water, it's, I guess, it's something just, just to naturally. do with with usually like the shape of of the under surface, basically. That mm. does it. Anyway, anyway. So yeah, parallel. back on the story. <laughs> um, uh, there was another thing I wanted to mention, uh, not about drowning. Oh, just just about horror in general. So that th- this is one kind of horror that you can do, yeah. uh, which is which is based around you know that that sort of utter fear of of being at the mercy of something incomprehensible fear of the um, unknown but there's plenty of other kinds of fear you can um uh claustrophobia is one that really gets to me a mm-hmm. lot um well, if like, you look up a when phobia you, wanna when you it. read that or when you experience it oh both oh both okay. um 
a trigger for warning for claustrophobia. I'm just going to describe some claustrophobic stuff. Uh, but like the idea of uh, you, you mentioned diving, right? Yeah. Um, like cave diving is the most terrifying. Oh, I've thing seen that. to me where you like you are wearing tons of bulky equipment, right? And then you're traveling down the narrow passageway and you get stuck. You get stuck. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't Underwater. move forward and you can't move back. You can barely move your arms. I, I, I can't. I can't. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yo, so, I can't. So, so I saw this this one video of this person that was uh, went spelunking in the catacombs under Paris. Mm-hmm. And like he he was you know going down all of the back roads going here going yeah. there, and then he found this whole like section where it was all like foot high cave holes oh, that God. went deeper into it. So we so we started crawling, and like this was like a ten minute long video, and then mm. I saw as the actual hole uh around him as he kept going got smaller. And oh smaller god! And, smaller. and just just up and just the fact that you, like crawling backwards is harder than crawling forwards—that's mm-hmm. all you need for it to be terrifying to me. And yeah, he like he like got to the point to where uh, he was pretty much stuck, and you know he had to take off his bag, and then he kept going, but he was stuck again. He so kept he going. Off. Yes, be, because he was under the impression that there would that there had to be a clearing somewhere, you know, because of course these these holes were were built for people to travel down right so he just kept going up until the point to where he was completely stuck and then that's and then that's when he tried calling people but there's no cell service down there and he was just screaming and bleeding for like three minutes until his friend finally found him and like pulled him him out jesus but yeah couldn't be me i don't i don't want to go anywhere below sea level so if you if you want to experience some horror um uh the, there's a there's a movie i think it's on netflix it's as above so below i was it's just not, about to say it's that not, yeah. it's 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 mediocre honestly um i, I enjoyed it yeah but it's not like honestly i i, I there, there's some other things i could have done with it that would have been i mean really but, it is but a there's fun some great movie. there's some great claustrophobic moments in there mm-hmm. that you will feel very uncomfortable yeah. in. also i mean like if we're thinking about like i guess the story of it i think it's kind of cool uh, you know, taking the title into cons- consideration and like what they have to do to kind of get out. Uh, I think it is a interesting movie to watch. Uh, if you are a fan of horror in like any way, I would say that that is a must watch along with like That's movies good. like yeah. it was. Yeah. It was enjoyable, just mm-hmm. especially even though the claustrophobia is something it does it does right. Um, yeah, very well. I so, mean, personally, the scariest movie i've ever seen granted really? I don't really get scared by by anything is uh insidious i i saw it while i was high and i blocked out the memory so i can't mm, I yes don't remember it <laughs> me too but i'm still haunted by that movie <laughs> to this day only because of one scene spe- spe- uh, specifically um which you probably know the the scene that I'm, that I'm talking about i might i might or might not yeah it's it was when uh so there was this really great shot where you know they were just talking at uh, the a table and then one of the medians like like looked up and then in the the corner was this like goat man oh no no something else then 
Okay. I, I think I also know the, the other scene you, you were talking about. But honestly, that is a fantastically crafted movie. I think it's definitely one of the better horror films because there are so many bad ones because the entire genre mm-hmm. of horror films yeah, is oversaturated. It's fascinating how bad it is. Also, I have an idea for a, a, a horror movie script I would like to speak with you. A, horror, a short film. It's not really even really horror. It's just it's a zombie thing, which is barely horror. It, it, mm, it can be zombie. horror. It doesn't have to be horror. Yeah. Anyway... Anyway, uh, so some of the things I just want to get through. So I was originally a, a while ago, I was trying to experience more negative emotions, you know, to yes. try to try to you know, try out things more. So I was watching more horror movies. That's when I watched As Opposed to Below. I was playing mm-hmm. some some horror games. Soma can be very scary if you want if you let it be. Soma's um, fun, yeah. I need to finish it. I didn't actually finish it. As I was about halfway through, maybe maybe <laughs> two thirds, maybe. Um, I mean, like Golden Standard is either. Uh, outlast or amnesia if you haven't oh, played gosh. those ah. <laughs> I, I'm, those not, are... I'm not good at horror but i i, I should i should just to yeah. challenge myself personally i just run through everything i don't even care uh, i don't look yeah. at anything I, well see that's the I thing that's the thing i'm trying I, I was trying to like let myself feel scared right because okay. like I, I can watch a horror movie i can play a, a, a video game and if i remind myself oh yeah this is just a video game this is fiction none yeah, of this matters yeah and then i'm fine but that's not the point the point is to feel the fear and let it go through me you know mm-hmm. like and, and to learn how to deal with it so that when i do have fear in real life for a real reason right i know how to deal, deal with, with it. it just the same way as if you watch a sad movie you do want to let yourself be sad about it right you do maybe want to feel the grief of a character dying etc yeah so you can you can experience that right without actually and learn experiencing to deal. it right yeah. in a safe way yeah mm-hmm. so um so that's that's what i was doing i've recommended for for everyone uh to, to do something like that again in a safe way um but uh anyway back to <laughs> writing horror let's let's yeah. actually so so the challenge next week ne- next week uh the episode comes out um what right after halloween i believe yes um, i think so the, the deadline it would be saturday which is halloween actually mm-hmm. um and so the next episode is coming out on november 2nd but you know that's that's close enough right um and and so you'll be everyone that participates uh which i i highly recommend that everyone does to, to try to write a horror uh, story it's really fun um would be doing it uh right before halloween so yeah and i mean really you can write like there are so many different oh, yeah. genres within horror that any of them really work i think the key thing that you should try and focus on is building that tension tension is what mm-hmm. makes any horror film horror book that's what makes it work. Not just, you know, you are seeing scary things, but that right. there is some sort of, like, you are connected to the well-being it, of these characters. Yeah, connecting to the characters, the, the empathy of, of if a character is scared, you are more likely to be scared, right? Mm-hmm. Very um, much so. So, so and, and the thing that I really want to, like, truly challenge you, um, and I, I really recommend this, and, and I recommend this all the time with everything, not just with with horror but write something that scares you mm-hmm. like think of something that actually scares you and write it and let yourself be afraid as you're writing it i i, I think you'll you'll feel stronger in the wake of it uh, sort of dealing with it in a certain way but also i think you are way more likely to carry out actually writing a scary story if you were actually somewhat scared while you're yeah. writing it yeah. so um you know if you are claustrophobic <laughs> write about claustrophobia obviously don't give yourself a panic attack please be careful you know <laughs> maybe have a friend you know within calling 
uh, range, right? Make sure you're able to talk to someone if you need it. Um, you know, if you're if you're prone to panic attacks or something like that, I don't want to be responsible for for something like that. But if you think you can handle it, write something that straight up scares you. Yeah. You know, it, it, maybe it's other people. Maybe it's being alone in the dark. Uh, maybe it's being swallowed whole by something, the earth, a creature. Maybe Yourself. it's, uh, you know, it could be thalassophobia. It could be, or, or any kind of phobia, a horror of disease. There's a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. humans are scared of a lot of things. They don't exactly. all have to deal with death either. They can just be normal fears. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you, and you have to remember, uh, for something to be horror, there doesn't have to be a monster. Yeah, no. Uh, like that is could, that is definitely right. one of the larger conventions of horror that has created so many bad horror movies and <laughs> books is that people believe that they all need to have monsters. But horror is it comes from personal experience. It comes from the characters having a a, a having a fear, facing a fear, and maybe making it out at at the end that is it, the typical trajectory yeah it doesn't have to be a physical kind of fear it can be mm-hmm. entirely a mental i mean hell like the, a, a fear about like just everything going wrong and suddenly like everyone you know starting to hate you and there's nothing you can do about it mm-hmm. that's terrifying that's yeah. terrifying right it, of just like being completely out of control of how others are are perceiving you like that that is a terrifying thing and no one has to die in it there does not need to be a monster it doesn't even have to be supernatural it could just be incredibly unlucky um i mean hell like the ending of get out the original ending like Mm. that's true horror that happens day to day (sighs) day to day and and honestly that that true ending hit me hard yeah no it's fucking terrifying it's horrible but also I completely understand. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I consider that the 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 truer ending just because it's more like fit. Not not that the true ending is really a thing at all. Yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, I mean both both the endings one more have a different effect, you know, and they're telling a different message mm-hmm. in a sense. Um but yeah, well all right. Uh that is it for our little story that we read and talked about. Please next week write your fantastic horror. I'm looking forward to being scared and frightened. But it's time to move on to our listener submitted story section. So thank you to to everyone who did submit a a story, but sadly we can't talk about all of them. But the ones we are going to be talking about, we are going to be spoiling. So if you haven't read them, wait till we announce them. Go read them and then come on back to us, all right? So, the stories we are going to be reading this week are by Nippleton, No Goodbye, Ace of Sword, Sarah Penguin, and Words on the Wind. Up first is Words on the Wind with an untitled story. Um, so, this is a story, uh, remember, we're focusing on, on dramatic irony here. Not every story did, but I, I, I thought the stories that did were, were uh, doing it really really well including this one so mm-hmm. our main character is uh married to this this husband uh that is a a powerful person in the the diet which is uh, i i believe this is just taking place in russia but it could just be another place with a similar um feel to it aesthetic mm-hmm. um but uh, he's he's very powerful in the, in the legislature just because of how he talks to other people um yeah, but that's mostly just the the framing for the story. the The real conflict is when we get into the scene where uh, the main character is uh, sewing, um, basically to to gain some money, as we understand. And her mother in law is there, and um, 
slaps her when she uh, perceives some some slight slight disrespect, like almost nothing. She's be- she's being abused, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then her son-in-law comes in, or her stepson, yeah, stepson, uh, comes in. Sorry, I was just trying to remember <laughs> the how this works, how how family relationship works. Uh, her stepson <laughs> comes in, and uh, her stepson is going to like be the heir of the household, but he's like she she perceives him as weak and not as good as her own son because he's the son from another marriage, and uh, she it's very clear that she just like hates him. And her stepson is saying that he wants to go visit his his stepbrother because he's very his stepbrother is very sick, right? And he's saying that he. He almost says that he's here to say goodbye to him because he might die. The stepson mm-hmm. or stepbrother, sorry. Um, and our main character slaps him for this perceived slight for implying that he can't make it, uh, and just insults him and basically implies, "I wish it was you that was dying." And it's just horrible to him. And sort of the irony in, in that the narration points out there is um, so after so later she'll she'll. Uh, she she uh, there's a, there's a big echoing with both the slap and the fact that both her and the stepson after being slapped they they stare at the floor um and it let like bothers her she can't tell why and um later on uh after i, I think it's implied that the her her own son dies and she comes back and there's chaos in the household and her husband is now going to treat her badly she still doesn't understand why and I, I think, yeah, it's a really strong example of dramatic irony in the fact that, like, she is treating her stepson just as badly as her mother-in-law is treating her. Just as mm-hmm. badly. It's the same situation, and she's not choosing to be better. She's not choosing to... It's, it's very clear that the stepson didn't do anything bad, anything wrong at all. Uh, he's actually just being a good brother, wanting to see his brother for the last time. Um, and um, she just is also refusing to get better. She's just passing on that abuse. Hmm. Definitely, definitely. Uh, and I think the irony in this story works very well by using that uh, uh, parallelism between her relationship to her mother and her relationship to her stepson. Yeah. Um, and yeah, overall, I just think that this story builds tension very well. Uh, and we're able to hop right right into this new world uh, and kind of wade through all of the description to where we get down to what the story is really about. Uh, and I think overall the dialogue is working very well to characterize these characters. Uh, and it is very apparent this horrible position that this main character is in. But we also kind of understand that this is most definitely a part of a fa- of a familial cycle that is at play here. So I think this this story does a fantastic job at showing us all of those things. And uh, yeah, it does a fantastic job at setting up that irony very well. So fantastic job. Yeah, I, on, I only hope that um, that the uh, the stepson is going to learn and, and stop the cycle himself. But yeah. given how this is, how, how this uh, story shows it, it doesn't seem extremely likely. But mm-hmm. we hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But thank you very much to Words on the Wind. And up next is Sarah Penguin with The Spy Master and the Princess Part 22, A Crown for Your Head. 
Uh, so this is another uh, entry in this long series. Congrats, Sarah Penguin, for, for keeping it up so long. Um, where uh, Faye and Lillian have now, they, they've gotten to the throne room where her uncle, the, the tyrant king, is there. And they've, they've basically captured the, the city. They've basically won. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last thing is just to get the, the throne uh, with or without bloodshed. And um, the, the the tyrant uh, is there. The, it's his uncle who like imprisoned her uh, and, and tortured her for 12 years. Um, and uh, uh, Lillian uh, challenges him to a, a, uh, a duel uh, for the crown. And he sort of scoffs at it, but he accepts it still. And um, they decide to go ahead with the duel. And so uh, half of it is, is um, it's a circle... Uh, surrounded by both of their knights uh, a bunch of their knights um forming that circle as they as they fight in the middle of it it's a cool moment where uh one of the uh, uncle's knights steps out to give him mm-hmm. a hand to uh, sort of like backstab her and um the spy master uh, Faye is ready with a crossbow and just puts him down immediately and so it's just a, it's a cool moment um that's a, a setup for after uh, some more combat and some some talking back and forth um she's able she she's like disarmed but she picks up that that fallen um knight's armor um but the the final thing that's able to make her win is that she is able to uh pull out a dagger and and stab him um and 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 disable him for the rest of the fight and uh he surrenders finally and she considers killing him um because he didn't offer any mercy to the people that he killed but uh, she decides to to be better than him and uh sends him to the dungeons and um then they're gonna prepare for her to take the throne finally mm-hmm. exactly so yeah i think this is a really great entry i think something that really takes the uh center stage is that we clearly see that the spy master and the princess's relationship is is going full full throttle and i really love it i mean it's something that we've been um reading for for the past months really uh, and I think it's really cool to see that they've kind of created a, a nice little jive uh, be, between each other. And the action bits w- within this this story is really strong. Uh, and yeah, um, I really do like how how much this tyrant king is sort of true to being a tyrant king and that it, it takes not only the princess but also the spy master to take him down and i am definitely looking forward to this crowning ceremony and uh yeah it seems that we're kind of reaching the the ending of um this journey and i'm really glad to see it it's a fantastic job yeah so as a small critique i i did find the like the the uncle uh king being a little bit um uh, almost like unbelievable in in how like nefariously evil he he seems right like mm-hmm. he's it seems like he's completely lost and um i didn't see a reason for him to be so confident basically um but i really i, th- I think the fight scene was really really well done and uh of course i i still love the relationship between Faye and, and lillian and we can see that lillian has grown so much more and, and gotten so confident over the course of this um where uh Faye is not just like protecting her but she's like protecting herself um mm-hmm. And she's so much more confident, and and we can also see see how uh, Sarah Penguin's style has improved it in, in the same way and gotten more confident. Um, so yeah, really really great job. Mm-hmm. All right, and up next is No Goodbye with No Goodbye, <laughs> which is 
hilarious. <laughs> um, so this is a, a little bit of a, a, a tragic story, though it doesn't seem that it will be that way starting off. So we have um, Alice, and um, she is uh, she she gets a couple of signs um, on her way to to. Uh, classes although she doesn't quite know what those signs are and we don't know either so that dramatic irony being set up for us um to be um capitalized on later on um and uh so alice is going to uh she's very excited because today and, and nervous because today is the day she's going to confess her feelings for her best friend because she really really cares about her best friend she really wants to be with her best friend romantically and it always hurt her when her uh her friend Jean would, you know, talk about boys, and obviously Alice did not share those same feelings, and, and really only wants to be with Jean in the end. Um, and so, just a lot of like, uh, um, not tension. What's the word? Oh, a lot of hype built up for this moment. Um, <laughs> that, is, that she's going to she she's going to confess her feelings for her friend. Um, and we, you know, we get her entire thought process until finally, this is like, uh, one of the, this is the, the last day before spring break, uh, or not spring break, but I was saying summer break. Um, and, uh, Jean, uh, and they, they sort of float around the topic, but never actually going towards it. And, uh, Jean says that, um, she's, she's talking about feelings and it asks, uh, Alice about her own opinions on relationships. And Alice says, I just prefer to spend more time with you. And, um, we get some more uh, foreshadowing with uh, the closest thing to the truth she'd ever say. And uh, Jean just replies, oh, that's sweet. Um, and doesn't realize the, the true meaning, because of course not. Um, and then they, they part ways. Alice says, okay, next time, next time, next week, when, when we meet up, no, no more waiting around. This is going to happen. And on her way home, she gets hit by a car and dies. And it's not as like sudden as I just said it, but it, it, it feels more natural. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a reaper appear, and and we it gets revealed that this whole thing has kind of been like a reaper's like vision of her past days, and um, the sort of message here almost is is just that like she unfortunately waited too long, and and now this thing will never be fulfilled, and no one will know about Alice's feelings for Jean because they were never expressed, except for this reaper, which will remember her and understand. Mm-hmm. And man, the uh, Isekai truck claims one more. <laughs> Fuck, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> That's terrible. That's the, the worst response to this wonderful story that you can no, say. Yeah. I was uh, thinking it too, but it's terrible. Thinking, but well, it's be, just, but you be, can't kill a little girl. You can't kill a school girl with a, with a car without it calling up but it's but it's fine much. she's she's gonna be a archer in a foreign world it's gonna be great <sighs> i hate but, this i'm so sorry but, no goodbye no for but, ruining it for you. but talking very seriously uh this this story has fantastic sentiment and it feels very relatable of like kind of pushing down your feelings uh and trying not to kind of ruin a good thing uh, and the connection between these these characters is very clear throughout. And uh, when the truck did come, I was completely surprised and taken um, aback. But the story kind of ended in a likewise sweet place to where even though her emotions weren't heard by the person that she does love, at least the Reaper of, of Death kind of act, not act, 
acknowledges that. And I think it's like a, a fantastic ending. And I mean, overall, it's written very well. Um, yeah, I just really, really liked reading this one. So fantastic job. No goodbye. Yeah. So it's, um, it's very fitting. I, I, I thought that, mm-hmm. um, it, it is very tragic too. And I think mm-hmm. it really, it really, you, we, we feel just as much as, uh, as much hope for Alice that this might turn out right. And, and what, what I like about it is that it, it carries across this feeling of like, Jean is actually probably not going to return those feelings. Like, and Alice seems to almost know that she has a little bit of hope, but for the most part, she just wants to express it because that's, you know, how she really feels. And she doesn't even get that. And that's, that's so sad. Sad and tragic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a uh, really well done. I, of course, there is that little bit of, of at least someone knows, but it's still, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, up next is by Ace of Sword with the game <laughs> thank you for saying it that way so this one's fun this is actually uh, a a packed or or pale fan fiction right so um, i don't know what no, that is. No, no stories no story spoilers just setting um stuff and even then not really uh it, i think it's nice and, and vague um so uh it's definitely a bit uncomfortable to read <laughs> not because of the monsters so we uh, have uh, our main character is Rick. He's our he's our viewpoint character. Yeah, Rick. and Rick, we're pretty pretty quickly we understand is a pedophile, and it's really fucked up, and mm-hmm. we're very uncomfortable being in his head from the start. And it's and it's done in a way where it's like kept subtle enough where it's not like it doesn't it, it, you don't you know you don't read a line you're like oh this is disgusting I can't I can't continue reading this but enough where you're like I know exactly why he's describing these things you know so so he's he's driving and you see these two girls alongside of the road and they are young and it's very clear that he has some um some not good plans for them um it, it like there's there's so many just little nods of of how things are described that it's very clear that he's he has uh really bad intentions Mm -hmm. like he describes them as so young and and helpless right where it's just like yes you you can take that as like he wants to help them um because they need help clearly or you can take it as like he wants to take advantage of them and it's it's that really great cross-section of of both where it's like Technically, a lot of the things that he's saying are deniable, but they're not, and you know it. A- anyway, so we we get a description of these girls, and he's being really, really gross about it. Um, and they apparently, um, they're far from home, they need help, and so he invites them to, to come over and, and, and stay the night at this place. We, they'll they'll find their, their parents in, in the morning. Um, and uh, it's very clear that, like, one of the girls is being, like, a little... Uh, a little extra friendly with him and it's it's very uncomfortable because he's like delighted in it um, but they get there and he he drugs them and, uh, with tea and they, they fall asleep and uh, he starts like touching the body of one of them <laughs> um, and it's like just extremely uncomfortable but not so much that you're like how like how dare you write this you know mm-hmm. um, so I think that was really well balanced <laughs> it's tasteful that's, so, I don't want to use that word. <laughs> um, but but you know what I mean. Like there was a certain amount that was held back for for yeah, good reason. Yeah, I appreciate that. The the camera does not look too terribly. Any, anyway, uh, and then the the girl he's touching uh, wakes up and reveals that uh, he's actually a boy, um, and uh, is disappointed that he doesn't find him 
as as pretty anymore. And um, Rick is a little bit horrified by how confident this 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 boy is. Um, and then the boy pulls out some knives and uh, basically taunts the taunts Rick. And we get revealed that uh, he's um, a, a, a fae uh, and basically out to murder him. And we're like, oh, fucking finally, we can stop being so uncomfortable. If this yeah. guy could get his just desserts. Um, and so there's a there's a, a, a chase uh, around the house where Ashley has a, a chance to, uh, to, to actually throws five knives at the at the guy, gives him five chances to get away. Obviously, he doesn't actually have a chance uh, before um, paralyzing him. And then uh, taking out each one of his organs and cooking each one individually while Rick can still feel through all of them. Um, and it's truly, it's really horrifying. I, I only wish we had a little bit more of, like, Rick's thoughts because mm-hmm. he, we have his sensations, but not so much his thoughts about the horror in that section. Uh, before finally, um, Ashley sells off a, a couple of the of the body parts. The other girl is apparently um, Ashley's, um, uh, it, it, the other girl's a human and they're, have a familiar relationship um but not one that actually makes her uh happy in fact um she feels like that she can't get away um and uh actually debates like letting her get away for a bit before coming back and so it's like oh you're also horrible in your own way um but at least you are eating a pedophile rather than <laughs> another person it's um it's a good story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, this is a very good story, and honestly, I'm surprised that this story wasn't written next week on uh, Horror Week. Yeah, it it most certainly would would fit very well. Oh, 100%. um, Be very satisfying. Throughout all of it, I was so unnerved, and it it continued because we were in the head of such a horrible person. Um, I think that definitely works very well with this story. I mean, throughout you were questioning certain things about is his in, intentions pure? And then as soon as we realize that it isn't, we are definitely waiting for that moment where he'll get his uh, comeuppance. He'll get his just de- desserts. And the ending for me was very satisfying, no matter how horrible it really is. Um, and overall, the story is written very, very well. And it, takes its its time in and bringing us through this little snapshot of uh these these people's lives and i really do love that um and yeah overall it's it's a fantastic story that i think if you do want to be unsettled uh and unnerved while also feeling triumphant at the end you should definitely come and read this story fantastic job uh yeah i don't i don't have that much more to say about it i agree with um ace sword's own um a realization uh, that they they wrote in the comment there, there's a couple of details that that didn't fit like this version of the story uh, which is uh why i absolutely recommend it's sort to, to clean this one up because uh and, and to um yeah do give it some edits because i i, I think you would absolutely appreciate them Definitely. um okay and, mm, nice so up next is by nipotin with 2a a poem by Amarik Nakamura. So this is a a poem by my nipotin. Um, Amarik Nakamura is Nakamura. This is probably closer. I'm I'm sorry, nipotin. Um, is a is a pseudonym that they use. Um, but this is a a poem basically from one um person to another. Uh, sort of lamenting that they are no longer together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems so. So the the story that gets told here is that they. 
it's almost like a like a as a good goodbye or, or love letter um mm-hmm. that they used to uh meet up together and it's done at a very it's it's deliciously like i, I don't want to say pretentious but it's like the character is a little bit and, and but it's like okay it's mm-hmm. very much like art critic in in france kind of thing um i yes. think they are in paris aren't they or is it from something else yeah in have paris you, yeah have you read the love story of i think it's like jp poofrock or something i don't think so oh uh well uh all i was gonna say is that this reminds me a mm-hmm. a lot when you're talking about the quote-unquote um pretentiousness it just seems like a very educated point of view that's going through this e- emotion which i love personally well it's like it's very much like art students this is like how they would feel you know mm-hmm. and yeah. like when i when i'm saying pretentious this is not at all like a criticism like it feels yeah. like that that is genuinely who this character is and it is authentically how they were speaking about this mm-hmm. so um, but like you know they are in uh, in apartments in new york and paris talking about love it, like 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 love lust and politics and communism and that it's sounds just like, like my dream honestly <laughs> um it, it's it, i i don't know how else to say that like that particular tone with the pretentiousness is just like perfectly executed mm-hmm. and exactly what the you, you you portray this exactly correctly um and so there's a there's a sort of echoing about how they uh, both held up half of the sky together and um it, now that they are apart uh their half of the sky has burst the clouds have burst and asking about how their half is holding up now and um i think it's a very poetic thing i think there's actually a lot you can read in, into this about the the feelings i also think the positionality of it is very interesting because poetry is um you know so often it's 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 just implied right sort of by the genre that you are of course writing from your own perspective right this is something that you care about but this is something that the character uh cares about um this is a character relationship that it's fictional but of course by reading into it you don't have to read into the reality of it which doesn't exist you read into the sort of the feelings behind it and more of those meanings um Anyway, I, I think it's a very uh, well done and, and complex poem, and I think it's a really good job. So thank you, Emmerich. Thank you, Nipotin. Yeah, it, it's it's really great. I mean, the sentimentality and the Should loss. Should be Emmerich. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it doesn't. It, I just pronounce it different. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, I think that the sentimentality and the loss that uh, is being expressed here comes across perfectly, to where I'm just deeply uh, drawn into the emotions that are being talked about and expressed here and i think something that's really great about this poem is that there are like just its format itself leads you to kind of speed through it because there are so many very short lines but at the same time it forces you to put so much more emphasis on those shorter lines like like there are lines where it's just a or it's just did and that forces you to slow down within your reading and take it in piece piece by piece. So I think uh, when it comes to for- when it comes to formatting, it was a really great 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 choice in doing that. Uh, and overall, I do love how this story does f- or this poem feels that it is speaking in the abstract to where you know that these are real things that are happening, but there are multiple readings that you can really take from it. To where you can spend days of just diving deeper into the story to f- to 
figure out exactly what is being said and expressed. And you can possibly come out with a different interpretation, which I think is a crowning achievement of this poem in itself. So fantastic job, Nipoton. Yeah. Well, all right. Those are all of the stories that we are going to be talking about this week on Do the Right Thing. We wish we could talk about more, but hey, it's almost 9 p.m. (laughs) (laughs) But we do want to say thank you to everyone who did submit a, a story. So thank you very much to Words on the Wind. Thank you to Sarah Penguin. No goodbye. Thank you to Ace of Sword. Nippleton. And thank you to Mebin15. And we also want to say thank you to everyone who did leave two or more comments. Leaving comments not only helps you understand more about your own story and kind of echo that to the people that that will be reading it, but also you'll be providing crucial feedback to other writers, which is one of the whole reasons why we do the right thing. So thank you very much to Sithril, No Goodbye, Me Ben 15, Nipotin, Ace of Sword and Words on the Wind. Thank you so much for leaving comments. Y'all did a fantastic job. Um, and so, yeah, we really, really appreciate y'all leaving comments and, and sort of keeping this alive, especially when there's that back and forth between uh, people going um, as they leave a comment on their own story and someone comments on that and they respond to that. I think that's a great way to further discussion about, uh, about writing. And so y- y'all are doing a really, really good job. If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to do the right thing, you can do that by going to slash r slash do the right thing. All you have to do is sit down for 30 minutes, use three of four words for that week, and write a complete short story. That's right. Um, if you want to see the words as soon as they come out, the best place to do that is to follow us on Twitter, which is at RightThingCast. Uh, you can also send us an email with any questions or comments or anything you want to send us, uh, which is RightThingCast at gmail.com. Uh, we also recommend uh, following our Doof Media Twitter, which you can find out about all things Doof Media. And that one is at Doof Media. It's pretty easy. And you should follow it because it'll have stuff from all of our podcasts. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support all of the podcasts in the Doof Media Network, you can you can do that by donating to the Doof Media Patreon. All you have to do is donate a dollar or more per month, and you will get at and you will get access to the Doof Media Discord, where we talk about all things podcast. Additionally, uh, that gives you an increased chance to be selected every single week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like right now, we only uh, this week we we had two Doof writers, right? So very naturally, they became selected. And uh, so if if you are considering donating, it's only a dollar a month, and uh, your your chance of getting talked about every single week goes way way up. So um, if I, like if you're especially looking for feedback a certain week, maybe maybe just consider it. Um, Exactly, uh, and so, of course we have plenty of other things uh, that that we offer at the five dollar level. Uh, you get access to our doof and chills, uh, which uh, one happened just very recently, uh, where um, uh, Jarvis unfortunately wasn't able to make it because of a, a family thing. But um, Scott and also Matt was sick; <laughs> he was supposed to be there too. But uh, but it was still a really really good time with um, uh, Scott and Elise and me and Clarence. Uh, we all gathered around to tell some spooky stories and and talk about horror for a little bit so that was a really enjoyable discussion a little uh, enjoyable stories that, that were told um and i i had a, a really good time with it and you can see that on the um doof media patreon at the five dollar level that shows up right there in this re- recorded session so if you if you missed it you still have a chance to see it and i recommend it it was it was a good time nice so matthias what else is going on in doof media right now 
Well, as I said, there is that Doofenshmirtz that just came out. Uh, our, our bonus content is is coming out this week, finally, uh, about Palamagai Magica Magica Rebellion. It's been um, hard trying to trying to schedule, but you know we're both busy. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're there though, um, and all 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 sorts of uh, wonderful things. I know uh, Kingslingers has I I think is is basically wrapping up its its main portion, um, and that is the the Dark Tower podcast uh, covering. Um, all things of uh, of the of the Dark Tower, which is a, a, a series by Stephen King, and I think mm-hmm. they're branching out to other books right now, and I'm very excited about that because I have actually read some of those. So yeah. maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll actually be able to to tune in because I haven't read the Dark Tower yet. Are mm-hmm. they going to touch the Talisman? Probably. I don't okay. know. I haven't heard anything about it, but you could ask. Oh yeah, and then they I'm, would tell you. I'm and just wondering they... because that's definitely like one of my favorite Stephen King novels, but it's also like. 700 pages to like 900 oh well so is everything yeah that series that's quite true so i just know it's like one of his longest works uh but yeah plenty of plenty of stuff going on in doof media all the time all right nice nice so it's about that time let's announce next week's words well first and foremost we have to say as we said previously within this this podcast next week is going to be horror week so make sure for spooky month spooky month so make sure to write a bone chilling skull rattling story that will make us skull rattling that make us um, piss our which boots. you don't have to but i recommend challenging yourself and and writing something that actually scares you mm-hmm. give me a scary story to tell in the dark exactly but the words for next week are worth trait yearn and cage so worth as in what are you worth what is the value of something or someone um what can i can you make my time worthwhile etc um trait as in like a uh biological trait a um a a character trait Mm -hmm. you know a a trait of an object uh, what 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 is uh a characteristic about it um uh yearn as in uh do that that is a a feeling of of wanting something very strongly Mm -hmm. um it's a very um uh lesbian feeling also so you can have lesbians yearn for each other which is that's basically one of their words um but uh of course it's available to everyone else as well um that's that's a joke by the way y'all okay i see see, i i didn't know so. so joke for joke for the queers out there um <laughs> anyway um you but you can yearn you know for uh t- to live in a new place you can yearn for the sun uh, on your face and you can yearn um, for the next hit of the words uh, which is cage so to uh be inside of a cage um you know uh maybe maybe chained inside of a cage um or, or cage you match. are you, you you feel that your feelings are caged it or it could be a cage match you're very right um rib you cage. know that, that the being of, of rib cage mm, i hadn't considered that one mm. um so plenty of options here some of them are, are, are clearly leaning towards spookiness what a lucky role Mm-hmm. um jarvis what's the story that you're gonna write well also yeah next week we are not <laughs> reading a normal uh a a a a, a random story we are uh reading one of your stories yeah so instead of reading something good we will read whatever i come up with <laughs> which hopefully will be good hopefully we will see i've written half of it well no cut that cut all that 
<laughs> we have you to don't keep. Lie. We have to keep the facade of me writing in thirty. Ah, uh, I see. I see. I see. I see. I see. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, so, uh, so next week I will be writing my own story. It's been a while and I think, you know, I've, I've had plenty of time to let my juices churn. So I'll see what I can come up with. But, uh, next week we will be talking about third person omniscient, which is just, uh, which is just a point of view that, uh, you can possibly write in where the narrator of the story knows anything and everything including feelings and thoughts of characters that's right so that that'll be for that'll be the challenge for the week after next Mm -hmm. so so don't worry about it for now just giving you all a teaser can you tell me your story jarvis right now yes tell me the the story you're gonna write so the story i am going to write is uh going to be about a beautiful mosaic in a library You see, this library is cladded in books and wonders and glitters and gold. But the issue is that it is owned by the state, so it is in disarray. Uh, It is barely worth even going to this place because, I mean, the books that they have have been torn. They have been scratched. Uh, There is no notable trait on, on any of these books that would want you to even pick them up and read them. But you see, this beautiful window pane is why people come. Because, you see, it isn't glass. And it's not a projection either. It's something different. Something third. Something to where the colors within this mosaic shift and mold into each other. Some, sometimes it is a beautiful picture of a sun rising above cool waters. Something that you yearn to one day see, to one day experience. But at night, but at, but at night this beautiful sun is caged in by a shadow of darkness. It all goes black, likewise to the, to the moon that always hangs right behind it. You see, this mosaic is something other. Something different, something that no one has any recollection or understanding of. Was this mosaic built before the actual library? Well, find out next week. <laughs> I feel like your your story should have gone second. That way we could just find out next week on. Do and then we the could right say, yeah. No, you can't see it. No, oh. no, no, podcast is oh, ending. No, Oh no. Um, okay, let me just tell my story real quick. So, um, I'm telling a story about a bird who um, was inside of a cage and wanted to get out real bad, yearned for the outside. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a little yellow bird and yearned, yearned to get outside. Um, and that it always had a, this, this trait of, of curiosity and, and wanting freedom. And uh, one day, uh, the owner um accidentally dropped the key um on the ground and then the cat picked it up and the cat really liked the bird and um because it just would wanted to eat the bird and uh came over and and accidentally dropped the key next to the cage and then the bird came and took the key and knowing you know it's a very smart bird um used the key to unlock the cage and actually got free it was chased by the cat almost gotten but it didn't um and it um was able to, um, uh, to peck its way out of uh, the uh, out, out of the, the screen door and actually escaped and flew away 
um, but found out that it was this this escape attempt was not worth it because about 30 seconds after leaving uh in flying up in the air flying high in the sky it was snatched by a hawk and eaten and it was just immediately just brutally just murdered just horribly mm. like it, like like it's a nature documentary like it wouldn't be able to show it, it was horrible just oh man um not not a good scene to watch so is, at all so is that why the cage bird sings is that a is that a thing it's, it's by maya angelou oh i'm sorry i don't know uh, i don't know poetry man i, I had to put you on you really should mm-hmm. um uh, that would be the the right thing right to do <laughs> i wonder if listeners say it along with us i see i don't even know when we're supposed to